prepared or brace for impact. Prepare for unconventional money moves for the Mavericks who dare to defy the status quo. Introducing the financial dynamo himself, Joshua Kravchik. Unconventional Money Podcast with Ari Mizell. And it's not doing less. It's less doing. Correct. And uh, and Ari has mastered how to live his life successfully so that he can maximize the amount of time that he has each and every day. So happy to have Ari back. Thanks for being on, Ari. Uh, what do you got going on nowadays other than working as little as humanly possible and spending time with your kids as much as possible. It seems like, uh, it's a long list. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, well, let's I, start know, with but, the most interesting thing and work our way down. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's always been, uh, less to, Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry Alexa, stop. Um, it's always been less doing more living. Right, so I am definitely doing the more living part at this point. Um, I guess the most interesting, technically speaking, objectively speaking, is that my wife is pregnant with our fifth child. Oh, nice! Congratulations! Um, thank you. I, uh, thank you. I got my so, first on the way. Congratulations! Your life is about to change, uh, in a good way. I, I have to say, I think that uh, having children has been one of like those force multipliers in many ways, because like, it really. Uh, you can you can use it as a very interesting constraint to be more productive and more effective. Let's just say that for now. Um, so there's there's that that's the the biggest the biggest news. Uh, additionally, though, so I'm still I still have you know my company less doing and my focus there is on one on one private coaching. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that. It's all done asynchronously, which we can certainly talk about because that's how I'm able to do it. And, in such a compressed amount of time and on a really easy schedule for me. But other than that, uh, I just became Lieutenant at uh, our local ambulance squad this week, which is actually really exciting for me. <laughs> I've been an EMT for about 12 years and I, I volunteer here in our community. It's something I love, love doing. Uh, additionally, I have really leaned into my pandemic hobby of woodworking and it's gotten way out of control and I do a lot of woodworking and I've actually made pieces now that are in our community and that I've sold, uh, which is not something I ever expected. I'm going to be teaching a woodworking class for our local arts council uh, coming up soon, which is really, really exciting. I love teaching. And beyond that, I'm now, now that we've been in here in Princeton, New Jersey for about two years, I'm starting to get very involved in things in the town. So I just got put on um, one of the town boards. I'm trying to get on another one. And I'm trying to get on three nonprofit boards actually all at the same time. Because why not do that when we have a baby coming in two months? Well, if anyone can do it, it can be you since you've uh, mastered the time. And one thing I find interesting is when you meet someone or you ask it like, you know, what's been going on? And they say the word like busy. Oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> I'm, I've been so busy. It's like, well, like, are you being busy or productive? And for me, I'm not sure if you would agree or disagree. It's more of like a mindset shift. Like, are you busy or are you being productive? And you've, in my eyes, have mastered productivity because we all have the same amount of time. You have a 
you're about to have a basketball team for kids. You're gonna have five five players, and uh, you're continuing not pulling back, but you are actually pushing yourself forward to do more and to leave your community in a better place than you found it. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It's well, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's interesting for me that um, this is a very conscious choice, you know, to do this in many ways. And uh, I, so I, so I did a workshop last to two weeks ago, a less a uh, replaceable founder type of workshop, which I used to do all the time. And I haven't done one in, you know, four years since the pandemic, we actually were scheduled to do one, I think, March of 2020. And so I did one uh, here in Princeton, um, two weeks ago, and it was awesome. You know, we had 32 people, which was all, that that in itself was great. It's like, I haven't done an event in such a long time. And we were able to fill the event with just people yeah, from my newsletter who were like, you it know. sucks. It sucks when you go and do something and like two people show up. Or no people show yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, but it was also it was validating to know that sort of my my content is at, by design is kind of timeless and it's meant to it was meant to be. So uh, that was really great. The interaction was really awesome, and so I'm going to do another one and hopefully a bigger one in the fall here. Um, and it's um, it, it's just it's just sort of nice to sort of get back to that kind of thing. But what it, it just reinforced for me also is just I really, really love teaching. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I'm getting requests. I mean, I've been I actually kind of never stopped, but I'm getting more and more requests now for speaking and coaching and, or speaking and consulting coaching. I'm doing consulting. I did a lot of and it's not I mean, it's great money, but it's not really something I enjoy doing very much. And the speaking is the same thing. Um, so I've, I've made a very, very conscious choice to sort of like be, be local and not just be uh, a father and a husband, but really be a member of my community. Yeah. And nowadays, a lot of aspiring business people and young people are seeing like uh, people like Grant Cardone has become very popular the last decade. Uh, I've seen like people like uh, Brad Lee and they're like, you know, make money, scale businesses, you know, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work versus your mind. Your whole thing is like, I've built something that's valuable. How do I pull away? So this thing just keeps running with or without me so that you can walk your kids to school, work on a project, go teach, be an EMT. So to me, you've taken, uh, I guess the right word, I'm really bad at English, uh, would be like a contrarian approach. <laughs> Like you're, you're, you're figuring English out how to pull. language. <laughs> hey, I'm good at math. English was always a little shaky in, but you, you figured out a way, like, rather than like, yo, like now that you're making more money, you've taken those resources to put other people in your position so you can pull away and then continue to grow the business over time. Yeah. Right. And I am continuing to grow my business, but, uh, very much on my terms. And, and the thing is that, um, uh, that's actually what I was going to say before. Sorry. So one of the the backdrops or sort of the the thread to the workshop and some of the new content that I've been putting out is around the world's oldest businesses, right? So this is this has been like my sort of passion project. So there are hundreds of businesses that are hundreds of years old, and there are actually quite a few that are over a thousand years old that are still in operation. Um, everything from restaurants to wineries to uh, arms make dealer or dealers <laughs> arms manufacturers. Uh, and uh, food, all sorts of things, candle companies, money, any. 
there's really fascinating commonalities amongst all of those companies. Um, and, you know, you think about like, there's one company uh, called um, uh, Stiff Skeller, which is a, it's the oldest restaurant in the world. It started in the year 803 in Austria. It's still operating, right? Most businesses, most restaurants fail in the first year, 90% or something. So this restaurant has been around for, you know, 1200 plus years, basically. And one of the things that we see is that's key with a lot of these companies is there's a, a really big emphasis and focus on craftsmanship and quality. Not that surprising, mm -hmm. but something that we see less and less of nowadays. Uh, the other thing is that they tend to have fairly small teams. Like most of the, most of these companies have less than 50 people working for them. And a lot of them are family members, which makes sense, but none of them blitz scaled, right? There was no unicorns in these, in the mixes. And they all grew slowly uh, under their own steam. Very, very, very few of them ever took outside investment, partly mm -hmm. because they didn't want to bring in outside partners, but also because they wanted to grow at a pace that they could support. Um, and maybe the biggest of all is that all of these companies, oh, I'd say the majority of them, see themselves as a member of a larger community, right? So they support mm -hmm. the families, the suppliers, the, the customers that are in their community. So you take one example, which would be the Marinelli Bell Foundry, which started in the year 1001. And they make bells for churches, and they still do today. Uh, they make about 40 to 50 bells a year. They do about $4 million in revenue every year, and they have a team of 12 people. Uh, and that's that's a great business. <laughs> they've been making four million dollars. They have been making four million dollars a year for a thousand years, but they've been doing it for a very long time, right? So that's probably a billion dollar company. But Hello. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's just a different focus. Yeah, totally. And like everyone wants to get everything so fast. Uh, however, uh, it's all about getting a reasonable rate of return while staying in the game as long as possible. So what was like the first item that you have people focus on when they're looking to remove themselves? to start getting that time back within their businesses. So the, the, um, the methodology, right. Is the, uh, the replaceable founder. That's the, the framework, you know, less doing is sort of my original company, but, um, fixing them, it makes, means making them more replaceable. And in order to do that, we have to create systems and processes that replace what they do well, sometimes automation, sometimes that means delegating. And so we start with an inventory of all the things that they do. This is always a really fascinating experience. I call it the ultimate KPI. So you take the 20 things that you do on a regular basis, and it can be sort of as micro or macro as you want. So it could be podcasting, sort of macro level, or it could be being on podcast versus interviewing for podcast, right? Whatever is taking those that most of the time. And then you have to take 16 of those things from that list that you are no longer going to be doing at all in a year's time. It's a fascinating process for people. And uh, what I always tell people.
what's important to you or what you really want to be doing. Secondly, it provides a very clear framework for us to begin to optimize, automate, and or outsource slash delegate those things. The replacement plan for those items sometimes is very obvious. You know, if there's a uh, a process that you might be doing that can be automated, then okay, we're going to automate that. You won't be touching that anymore. If you need to hire somebody, you need to raise somebody up from within the company to do that. You can do that. It creates a very objective plan to check in to see how well you're you're on that path of replaceability. So in three months, we can see, oh, you took four things off your list. That's great. Um, and what's also nice about that too is that we can use that at every different position or different industries, right? So a salesperson can use that, a CEO, a COO, a CFO, they all can use it. And all we're just trying to do is like, what percentage of your plate are you systematically like removing from your plate? I'm, I'm going through this right now because I, I, I'm starting to realize with a kid on the way, like uh, I'm going to have to master the amount of time and how I spend it. So I, I like tell my wife, I'm like, listen, like let's live as low as we can go right now so we can buy back time and then let everything else fall into place so that we can focus on the highest value activities. And you mentioned KPIs. What what exactly does that stand for? Key performance indicators. Key performance uh, so, indicators. Yeah, so we, you see that, you know, other people have like OKRs, which is um, objectives and key results, I think. Uh, very similar idea. It's just like, what are those things that you're going to measure? But the problem always for me was that I've, I've worked with different people in so many different industries and have produced really, I mean, generally pretty good results, but they're different kinds of results for different people. So th there are coaches where it's like, I will help you grow your, you know, salon business to six figures. Like I will help you, uh, you know, get out of debt. For me, it was always difficult to just be like, I'm gonna make you more replaceable, right? And some people are like, oh, I need that. Other people are like, what are you talking about? So having this sort of objective measure of replaceability was really important for me. So again, you know, a salesperson's KPIs might be like more sales calls. A CFO's KPIs might be, you know, less expenses, whatever it might be. This is very leveling in that way, but it gets you in that mindset of thinking, is this something that I could not be doing? Yeah. So focusing on what are the things you have to be doing, such as like a CEO needs to take meetings with clients or prospective clients. Do they? Or they could take the Ari method and find someone else to do it. So, I mean, right. it, is it? But, but, no, but see, that's a good question, right? Or that's a good point because people get yeah. caught up with that. They're like, how could I not be the one doing this, right? How is that possible? It's got to be me. Um, the client wants to meet me. Uh, and a lot of times it's just not true. Um, and we, we kind of proved that. I mean, I've, I've proved that with, with a lot of companies, but I, I really proved that with my company because... You know, I created this coaching methodology and then I grew a company up around that, around me and a team around me. And then we had a, a group coaching program, we had courses and things like that. And then we made a very active decision to make the less doing methodology not be Ari's productivity system, right? Like we really focused a lot on that kind of the branding and the, the separation so that we didn't want people to read the book and then sign up to work with me. Uh, and we got there. We got to the point where I wasn't doing any coaching at all. Now, I replaced myself so much that I got to this place where I was like, wait, I miss coaching people. Uh, and that's why I, that's why I do my private coaching now. But, um, the, I was the face, it was me. And we were successfully able to remove me from that and have it be a standalone system, which quite honestly, it, it's, it, it's really worked because 
I haven't been in the public eye or really done anything since before COVID. And, you know, we filled this workshop with, you know, two emails, basically. Yeah. I mean, was the vision always to remove yourself? Um, I don't know. I don't think, no, not at all. Sorry. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. It was, um, I guess in some ways it felt like a sort of a natural progression, but also, mm -hmm. you know, what I, so I had less doing, which is, well, I have le less doing as the company and less doing the methodology was originally sort of the, per the personal productivity method. And then I sort of, I took like a bit of a detour and I, I started another company, uh, a virtual assistant company, which I then left. And I came back to less doing and I had this team around me and stuff. And at that point, it was like everything. We were doing books and courses and workshops and consulting and coaching and speaking and like you name it. And it just sort of got refined and refined and refined. And the replaceable founder came out of that work um, because I was working with all these different companies. And once we got that sort of cemented, then it was like, well, now let's see how far we can take it. So you started with a large hole. You realized there is a hole that needs to be filled. And then within that hole was like the re replaceable founder hole that you're looking to now fill. That's your main focus. What now? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, sorry. I don't, what do you mean? <laughs> so like you started with less doing that was like your large concept. And then now it's like the replaceable founder is within the less doing. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, right. So the, again, less doing was like the personal side of things. Replaceable founder became more of the business methodology. So in a way, I guess it was more of an evolution than a, than a narrowing in some ways. So a CEO or a founder of a company could just completely remove themselves. Like the Walton family, are they still like doing things with Walmart really? Do you have any background with like these families that own these large institutions, how they've stepped out or how do they still stay in the game a little bit yeah so I, th I think with the walton family for the most part they're all like board members basically but uh that speaks to this whole thing with the the world's all those companies a lot of the ways that those companies are able to have legacy and consistency generation over generation is family values in a way right and they have value driven businesses that are based on a values that whether they are running it or not, or somebody else comes in, those are the values. And you, you take an extreme, extreme example, which is the oldest company ever, which is called Kongo Gumi, which is a Japanese construction company. Started in the year, I, I think it was the year 463. And they, it was a, they were building Shinto temples and they, it was a large construction company. <clears throat> they went out of business in 2020. They were liquidated and purchased by a larger construction company. So the, technically they're still on the list, but the 80th generation of the Congo family was the one in, in charge when they were liquidated, which I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that that person had to feel. But 80 generations of this family <coughs> ran the company with consistent values. And so much so that like, if there was not a male heir, uh, a daughter, a, a Congo daughter or woman, would marry another would marry a man and that man took her name. Hmm. Low progressiveness. I mean, think about that in like, you know, feudal Japan. Like that's the it's unheard of, but it was such a force and the that family name and value is so important that that's that's the way it was. Do you have any idea what made them uh liquidate or merge? Um, I mean, first of all, Japan in the 80s was really tough for most businesses just because of like hyperinflation. And they just kind of never recovered basically from that. 
Uh, mm. You know, construction is a tough business. So. Uh, plus, the fa- I, I mean, I don't know how much this plays into it, but they built so much of Japan because they were abound so long. Uh, like the, their original business was building temples, and at some point, like they just didn't need more temples, right? So then, then they then they started building other things. But you know, they, it's a it's a very competitive marketplace, and uh, they made some they made some bad investments. Mm, yeah, a couple bad investments, and uh, we've all seen companies such as General Electric, Kraft Heinz have uh, the last decade or so made some key decisions that have hurt their shareholders uh they're still around but yeah mm-hmm. those 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 decisions can definitely impact a company and with these companies and what you're doing or i should say less doing the less doing we're doing where are you seeing people struggle with the most like what's that one task that you're seeing people like holding on with all 10 of their digits and don't want to let go. So, uh, email continues to be a big struggle for people. Uh, and that's something I've, I've talked about for years. The biggest, I don't know if it's the biggest struggle specifically, but the solution is, is there's a solution to that, to what I think is a big problem. So I can, I can talk about both, but, um, asynchronous communication. That's the biggest one by far. People are just in way too many meetings, way too many calls, way too many um, live interactions. So like this meeting, this call that you and I are having, this is the only synchronous meeting on my entire calendar this entire week. And synchronous, you mean live, like we're having a real conversation. Everything else can be on your terms, not someone else's terms. Right. And so, so asynchronous. So, uh, Email is asynchronous, actually. A lot of things are asynchronous. But so I primarily use a tool called Voxer, which is ma- mainly a voice communication tool. Think like, you know, I don't know how old you are, but remember the, the Nextels with the chirp chirp? Hey, where are you at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's got that that element to it. So it unlike WhatsApp or Telegram, there's a lot of tools that let you do voice communication, but none of them let you do it live as well as asynchronous so with boxer if i'm talking somebody can start to listen while i'm talking which makes for a really great flow to it but uh that's how my coaching is done so i work one-on-one with two dozen over two dozen clients right now privately they have unlimited boxer access to me i speak to many of them every single day for a couple minutes sometimes but uh it takes me about 20 minutes a day to do coaching one-on-one with over two dozen people right so like you do the math on that try to, you know, <laughs> like I essentially figured out a way to scale one-on-one coaching, which you can't do because everyone who teaches coaching businesses how to grow, it's like you have to go into group stuff and group stuff because that's how you scale. I've scaled the one-on-one. Uh, and not only that, that's how I do my sales. So people can go to voxwithari.com, which is a one and a half minute YouTube video, explains what Voxer is, says, hey, reach out. So every couple of days I get a random person boxing me and asking me about services and, you know, what used to be, a half hour, 45 minute sales call scheduled, you know, back to back to back on a Tuesday and a Wednesday or Thursday, or whatever. Now it's seven minutes of exchanged audio over the course of 12 hours and people are signing up for the very same cost of program. So, uh, and nobody, when I originally told people that, that nobody would be like, oh, you can't do coaching that way and you can't do sales that way. And it, it seems to not be the case. 
so I push like every, that's my initial response to anybody who wants to have a call or a meeting or anything. It's like, hey, voxwithari.com. And if they don't want to do that, then it's sort of a litmus test. Now, podcasting is different, right? And, I, and I, I've started recording a new podcast of my own. There's value to this. There's value to seeing each other's reactions, things like that. That's fine. But everything else in my life, at least, I can get done asynchronous. I even have my mother on Voxer. It's great because we, you know, we could talk whenever I can listen to two, three, four times speed. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's perfect. So uh, plus the idea of asynchronous also means that you're letting people perform when they are at their best and people are rarely at their best. Two people are rarely at their best at the same time. Right. So like this may be an amazing time for you to podcast or for me, it's very unlikely that it's an amazing time for both of us to be podcasting right now, but we'll both do our best. Yes. Do, do or do or do not. There is no try. The famous Yoda said, so you have Vox with Ari and that's a is an alpha R is in Romeo. I is an in indigo.com. Uh, you're also on Instagram. Uh, you got your YouTube channel. Is that where you want most people to be going to find you? Uh, also with this new podcast, I didn't know you have that. Tell me, tell us more about what, what's going on there. Well, so that's a little bit in flux right now. It's probably going to be called Everlasting Business. Um, and it's going to be with a, with uh, friends of mine here in Princeton who actually were involved in this last workshop that I did. And just us talking about some of the world's oldest, oldest companies and some of the lessons learned. It's it's really fascinating content. There's there's not been any that I found, and I've done a lot of research. Like there's there's lots of little articles here and there on some of these companies. I think it's like ripe for a TV show. Honestly, there's some really interesting visual stuff with some of these companies. Like, for example, um, do you know the company that makes the scissors with the orange handles? Uh, I got a black handle here. <laughs> Universal well, is the name of the company. No, but with the orange handle is Fiskars. You know, I'm sure you've seen it. Yes, it's been right. every elementary school class from right. Jacksonville up to Princeton. <laughs> So that company started in 1643 in Finland. Um, Zildjian, you, you, you ever played the drums or seen someone play the drums? I've seen someone. I've so not, I've banged the drums. Playing the drums is different. So the big symbols that are on the metal symbols, the big Z, really fancy. It's a Zildjian on them. Most oh, that's like the biggest. It's a 300 year old Turkish company, Turkish alchemy company. Right. Like, so there's, there's such really rich information. A lot of these products are things that we touch every day. Mount Gay Rum. Okay. Is the oldest company in Barbados uh, for, it's been around for uh, 240 something years, I think. So like there's fascinating things that are not just from the products themselves and how they developed and over the years and things, but uh, just business lessons to be learned. So, so the podcast is basically like we pick one of those, talk about it, discuss it, and then how we can apply that to current business. I think it's pretty cool. But um, yeah. to, to answer your question, people can go to lessdoing.com. Everything is there. Uh, and then if they wanted to reach out to me, which they're welcome to do, they can go to voxwithari.com. Cool. Easy to find you. Makes it, uh, makes it a lot simpler when you can directly reach out to someone. Now, with this time on Voxer, you're speeding it up the conversation. So you're getting time back there. And then you're listening and answering the conversations when you feel is best. Do you have, do you, are you a time blocker where you're like, wake up at 6.02 a.m. 
get out of bed by 603 or are you more of just is it more of just like a feeling kind of thing or a combo of both uh it's a it's a little bit of a combo so i do get up at six every day um the uh so the time blocking for the most part is basically i try to do anything i have to do while my kids are at school right so pretty much between 8 30 and 2 30 that's like that's my that's my hours uh to do things that uh i might need to do in person but a lot of honestly a lot of that is like woodworking things around the house um coffee with friends things like that the the boxer stuff i usually what i'll often do is i will first thing when i wake up six o'clock i'm making coffee and i'm i i we have a gas fireplace in our house and I just like to put the fireplace on, just sit there and drink my coffee. But I'll listen to my Voxer messages from my clients from the night before. My clients are all over the world. So I'll, I'll often wake up to six or seven messages. So I'll listen to all of them uh, and just sort of take it in and absorb it a little bit. After I drop my kids off at school at 8, 15, 8, 25, whatever, I take my daughter for a walk for a half an hour or so. During that time, that's often when I will respond to most of my clients. Um, and then if there's something that's going back and forth throughout the day, I might do that. But a lot of times that's kind of it. And then later, later, later at night, like 10 o'clock at night, right before I go get ready to go to bed around 11 or so, uh, is when I'll, I'll respond to other comments. But, but the other thing is not only the time savings, not just, you know, recording it or uh, listening to it faster or doing it at time is best for me. It's also... The, you know, the original model when I started doing coaching 12 years ago was that I'd have a one hour meeting once a week with a client and we'd sit there for an hour and go through all sorts of things. Now, the hour meeting, uh, we can do it in three minutes because, you know, a lot of that is just talking and fluff and like back and forth and this and that. Whereas it, they can tell me now on a Friday afternoon, like, oh, I just had this fight with my partner and I wanted to fire this employee blah, blah, and they just let it out and I can think about it. And I have the space to do that too, by the way. I don't have to give them an answer on the spot. And then I give them the 90-second answer that like is the answer they need. It's just a lot more effective. So it gives you time to reflect on an issue someone may be having so that you can give them the best possible answer based on your expertise rather than we're live chatting right now. If you ask me a question... I can't just sit there and be like, hold on, Ari, uh, right. let me, let, I'm gonna go in the other room. Let me think about it and come back. You're, you'd be like, what the heck? Uh, this guy's, not, this guy's not, not a good person. Not, not, well, not only that, I, um, I, I get into some very, very personal, psychological, emotional stuff with a lot of my clients, very deep stuff. And, um, I can have a very emotional response to things that they might say sometimes like angry response, not towards them, but like, they tell me about something that happened. I'm like, ah, oh, that, that mother, you know, like, ah, and then I'm like, okay, wait, let me try that again. <laughs> and there are, and you can recall messages in boxes. So there have been times where I sent a message. I was like, mm, let me pull that one back. I'll try <laughs> take two. <laughs> uh, and it ultimately provides a, a more effective coaching uh, experience for them. It's not just more convenient. Mm -hmm. Like it actually is better coaching. Now is your model just like, you know, monthly subscription? Have you just, are you doing more like a gym model? Is that like what you're up to nowadays? Uh, I know at one point you were offering higher level coaching as well. And between those two models, like, have you found which one's most effective for your time? Uh, yeah. Well, so uh, it's people pay $10,000 for the first six months of Voxer coaching with me. And that's unlimited Voxer. Uh, after that, if they choose to continue and continuity matters, then it goes down to 5,000. 
And once they've been with me for a year, every six months after that is 2,500, which is really kind of, you know, it makes it a very easy decision for them. And at that point, you know, I have, I have multiple clients who've been with me for multiple years now. And the ones that are on the, I call it the Kaizen program, which is the, it's just the ongoing, you know, I guess it's like 450 a month. I might hear from them once every other month uh, at that point. But I also do a group Voxer broadcast message once a week kind of like a podcast, but it's just my sort of off the cuff thoughts and thinking and it inspires them to, you know, either ask me questions or just do something on their own. But I also do a version of that, that I call the less doing lab. That's a hundred bucks a year. And that's people don't get coaching. They just get a weekly broadcast from me because I stopped doing my podcast after 500 episodes about a year and a half ago. And so this is sort of taking the place of that for me. What does, what doesn't Ari do? Good question. Uh, yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, but you also, what's, what's cool to me is, and something I've, I've learned to value is when I first start, you know, graduate school, you want to take over the world or, you know, you come out hot. I came out hot. I'm not sure if you felt the same way. Uh, I know you went to a, you went to an Ivy league school, I believe. So like, I'm sure like you're, you came out, you're like, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to mess things up. Uh, and then you realize like, you just having the time to just sit there and ponder your thoughts is, is extremely valuable. At least it hasn't been for me. And it's, that's what it appears you also value is like just being able to sit there with a coffee in front of your fire. I just imagine you and uh, you can just decompress a little bit. Yeah. Uh and it's not something like I've always been sort of a go, go, go kind of a person. And th that that's very hard to sustain. Uh, woodworking, oddly enough, has been like the real key to unlocking my psyche, I think, in some ways, because there's actually really interesting research that if you do uh, deep, deep focused work with your hands, it sort of cuts through a lot of the noise of the attention deficit that people sort of experience on mass in our culture in our day now and the distractibility and stuff. Uh, I never had something. Like that. I mean, I've had hobbies before, I guess, but never really like this. There's something very special for me about woodworking and about making something and creating something and shaping it and making mistakes. And it's also one of those things where there's so much resources, so many resources online to learn from. You know, you want to make a box. There are a thousand videos on how to make a box and they're all good. Um, and so like, I'm, I've learned everything except for one particular skill. I've learned everything from YouTube and, um, you know, making stuff that people want to buy. So like, that's pretty good. I'm terrible at building things. I'm a, I let my, I let Roxanne, my wife build things. She likes building things and people like you, I'm, I'm terrible at it. Uh, getting something interesting now is, uh, the chat GPT or the chat AI. Are you, have you started getting into that at all oh, to yeah. save time? Mm -hmm. So tell, tell us more. I like what you just said. Okay. Because that's a, that's a critical thing. Everybody, all these people are so afraid that it's going to replace them and all that stuff. It's not there yet. And the way to look at it is it's a time saver. That's what ChatGPT is. So um, I had to fill out an application last week or a couple weeks ago to be on this town board. And they asked like six questions. It's like, you know, what skills do you bring? Well, I had ChatGPT write it. Like, and it did great. And now I'm on a board, right? So uh, 
and it was like 750 words for each answer, right? So I just said like, I'm this, I'm that, and I'm that, and then do the thing. This is the question. And it wrote all of it. Great. Done. Um, I had to write, someone asked me to write an Amazon review, ChatGPT, write it, done. Um, I had to do a bunch of Instagram posts and captions, ChatGPT. ChatGPT wrote the sales page for my, uh, for my uh, workshop that I had recently, right? So it's an incredible time saver. And now what we did, which was really cool. So we actually took the whole transcript of the eight hour day of this workshop. And it requires a little like messing around to get that much data into uh, ChatGPT, but you can do it. And then basically said, okay, here's this day that we had. Give me uh, 10 blog post titles based on this. Give me a course syllabus based on this transcript, right? And now take those 10 posts, write the posts. Like it, it, it bandwidth no longer is an issue. And that's where it's really, really powerful. Uh, and it's just going to get better. But it, it's, it, it's an amazing time saver. Yeah, I've used it a few times where I get stuck and I'm like, I, I don't have an idea. And I'm like, give me an idea about bird watching and whatever you wanted to do. And it's just like, when you need like that extra inspiration, you can also use it for things like that. And I mean, did you literally just copy and paste it to, to these boards or did you do some yeah. uh, due diligence on it too? Nope. It was perfect. Uh, now in mind, keep that in mind. ChatGPT will make stuff up and you have to be aware of that, right? So we were, we, we were doing research for the first podcast episode that we recorded last week about Fiskars. And so ChatGPT is familiar with my stuff, which is kind of, kind of cool in and of itself. So you can actually ask it to like, you know, what would Ari Mizell of Bless Doing say about this? Uh, but so we asked ChatGPT, like, you know, how does... Fiskars emulate like Ari Mizell's Let's Doing Optimized Automated Outsource. And it told us this whole thing about these two brothers with very, very Finnish sounding names who had created this whole thing and they had optimized this thing. And it, and it was like, holy cow, that's amazing. I can't believe like it fits so well with what we're trying to do. And then it was like, we started looking up those people and they don't, ex and we couldn't find anything on them. So then we said to ChatGPT, like, are these real people? And it said, no, they're not real people. <laughs> that, oh, well, because I, when we asked, I thought they were real people. And it said, oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood the context. These are not real people. So it will it will, <laughs> it will make stuff up. Uh, and you just have to be aware of that. I saw a very interesting article that I think uh, sort of uh, summed it up really well. It said that mm -hmm. ChatGPT is kind of like a blurry JPEG image, right? So like you can see, you know, you, you can get the image. You can kind of understand what's there, but it's basically an approximation. Right, so it's pretty good at doing a great job. Yeah, it's it's definitely cool, uh, and uh, people always fear what they don't understand. And once people get a better understanding of it, uh, it'll definitely be a game changer and can definitely help people with their time, just like you used it to get on seventeen boards. Yeah. Um, I, I actually really like um, the, some of the graphic ones. So like Mid Journey, that's really cool. So Mid Journey, I think it's better than Dolly. And that um, I use it to create the podcast cover for the new podcast. And what I first I said to ChatGPT, I was like, what's a really good representation of an everlasting business? And it said like a really old growth tree uh, and light bulbs, or is another one. So I went to Mid Journey. I was like, 
do a, a really old, like massive tree with light bulbs growing off of it. And it nailed it. It's like a really, really cool image. I, I don't, I guess I could show you, but yeah, it's. Now Check it out. That's on midjourney.com. Yeah. But I'm going to show you because I can, I think I can here. So hold on. Present. Watch this. Let's look at a tree with a bunch of light bulbs on it. And that sounds like a, a painting Dolly would do or something like that. See it? All right. Yeah, I'm putting it up now so people who can see on the video. Oh, wow. And it did all that by itself? Not the words. The words I did in Canva, but the image itself. Yeah, isn't that neat? That's crazy looking. And it's like, I think that's like a really good representation of everlasting business, you know? Yeah, it even has the, it reminds me of like the willow tree from Pocahontas a little bit with the, the roots on the bottom. It's like mother nature with light bulbs. And that mm -hmm. was just all generated within a minute less. Yeah. With that one prompt. That's crazy. I still got so much more learning to do. And like, like I've, when I found this, uh, this text expander magical, yep. I started like using that for like, you know, in, in business, people ask the same seven questions and the answer is more or less the same. So like using little things like magical, using chat GBT, midjourney.com, all the answers are right in front of everyone. If you just know the right resources to look at. So how do you, how do you stay on top of it, all of these resources so that you're always, you're always in the driver's seat? I don't need to. That's the thing, you know, so I, I, I I'll explain. I used to, I think in actually a lot of ways, like a, a lot of my initial interest and in following was because I was curating a lot of content, right? I was finding, I was going through hundreds and hundreds of blog posts a week and podcasts and all sorts of information. I was like culling it down to like the 20 new tools and things you need to know. But what I've come to learn at this point is that like the new shiny tools are rarely, rarely, rarely useful and helpful. Um, and there are so many of them. So chat, like, so for example, uh, Trello is my project management tool of choice. I've been using Trello for a very long time. I was one of Trello's largest users at one point when we had the, the virtual assistant company using it. There are lots of other project management tools. And every day it's like, oh, did you hear about Asana? Did you hear about uh, Monday, Airtable? Um, and Airtable I do like, but what I always tell people is like, look, unless it is 50 times better than what Trello is right now, it's not worth me even looking at. Or, well, I mean, I'll look at it, but it's not worth me even attempting to switch. And too many people, just like, just like when people see an ad on on TV for some condition that there's a new medicine for, nobody should ever go to their doctor and say like, hey, I want that medicine because I think I have the thing, right? They should be going to a doctor and be like, I have these symptoms. And the doctor said, well, we can try this, this, and this. So nobody should ever be like, there's a new tool. I want to try it. And you just basically have technology creating a problem that it's solving in a way. It's very circular. So uh, ChatGPT is the first tool in a very, very, very long time where it was like, yeah, that's something I'm going to pay attention to. I'm going to look at it. And it bubbled up because I follow a bunch of different accounts. And I actually find social media to be really, really informative the way that I have it sort of called Instagram and TikTok are very educational for me for both woodworking and technology stuff. Um, but if they don't kind of make it through those filters, I don't care. Yeah. If you set up your social media correctly, you'll, you'll get, you'll get good things. Uh, but you start clicking the wrong things and your feed just, uh, 
sucks you right in and takes away all of that time every single day. I I I downloaded, installed, and installed TikTok and deleted it seven times before I finally started like really using it because I, every time I would use it, it, it would be like some middle-aged housewoman like shaking her body or really bad like comedy. That's all I was getting every time. I was like, this is, why do people, this is so stupid. But then I spent like a day and I kind of got it to where I wanted and now it's great. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about that in your book a little bit, like such as like Uber, you just use your phone. You don't have like the app for a lot of things. You just use a browser. And that all comes back to like, if you don't have the app right there, easily accessible, you're less likely to, you put in those restrictions so that you don't get sucked in on your time. Right. Uh, yet, yet you found a way for your Instagram and your TikTok to only show you the things that you actually want to see rather than a 87 uh, year old grandma doing the latest TikTok dance. Twerking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend uh, that image didn't just pop into my head. But starting to wrap things up here because uh, we both got a roll. We got things to do. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Um, what's what's next? Is the uh, your project that you're working on? When when is that? Is that in person? Is it online? The next workshop. Yeah will be in person here in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, which is a wonderful place. And uh, that should be sometime in the fall. I haven't picked a date yet. I'm still planning that out. But that and then uh, the baby's coming in May. And um, I'm just getting involved in more and more boards in the town and just more, I guess, more in terms of the politics in our town. Politics. Are you going to be Mayor Ari pretty soon? Or what's what's next? <sighs> Maybe. We'll get you a hat that just says mayor. Some point. I I I, uh, I work very closely with the mayor currently in a different capacity, and uh, he's doing a great job. So I don't have any intention of running against him, but I would love to be mayor at some point, yeah. Well, wait for his term to be over. Then, then you can run. Yeah. Well, Ari, it's always great to have you. Thanks for hopping on, and we'll see everyone next time. So have a great day. Thanks for having me.